Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, clones, welcome back to the Daily Jungle. We had a crazy show today, and you know it's crazy when I leave the show with the Jacksonville freaking Jaguars right off the top as Allen Robinson gets caught up on tape giving Blake Bortles the absolute business after another errant pass. Connor and Floyd are back in the news again. We'll wait until you hear what it's about before you react. And another big guest day today, PGA champ Justin Thomas back in the jungle. The NFL Network's Heath Evans. CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd gets us ready for the college football season. Those three and Mitch from Maine trying to steal, steal the, show. the show. Go ahead, Alvy. It's yours. When have I ever started the program with a take on Jacksonville? Well, today. Because Jacksonville and Tampa Bay held joint practices yesterday and from the sounds of it, things got a little feisty with a series of skirmishes between opposing players. That'll happen. You had the typical pushing and shoving between offensive and defensive linemen. You had jawing between Malik Jackson and Mike Evans. You had Jags wide receiver Aurelius Ben throw a punch at Bucks linebacker Adarius Glanton. That'll happen. These things always happen this time of year. But... The single biggest shot of the day was the one that Jacksonville wideout Allen Robinson landed, and it was caught on camera. Let me set this up for you. Robinson is going up against Tampa corner Robert McClain. One-on-one coverage down the sideline. Blake Bortles drops back to pass, and it was then that the magic happened. Roll it. All right, so in case you could not tell from the audio, let me take you through that very quickly. Bortles chucked the ball out of bounds. Robinson still tried to make a play on it, but he ended up crashing into a guy who was standing on the sideline, and then he had this to say. Quote, bleepin', keep the bleep, inbounds, bro, bleep. In other words, expletive, two words, expletive, three words, expletive. You know it's not a great sign when your receiver says eight words after a pass and three of them are expletives and none of them are encouraging. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that That's probably not the first time that Robinson has said something like that after a Blake Bortles pass. And it probably will not be the last time either. And I get it. I feel for Robinson. This is a guy who can flat out ball. 80 receptions, 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns in 2015. And if you forgot what he can do, just throw in the tape of the catch that he made against Michigan back when he was balling for Penn State. And if you can't find that on YouTube, check his torso because he has that catch inked on his ribcage. In other words, just get the ball near him and he can do the rest. Except Blake can't even do that. Which is why that reaction from Robinson is not about anger or rage It sounds more like, I don't know, resignation. He sounds resigned. Like it's mid-August and the season is already over. Now, I'm not saying that Robinson's throwing in the towel. But I can't say that I would blame him if he did. 
Knowing Robinson, I'm guessing he put in a ton of work in the offseason. He worked on his game. He got into peak physical condition. Knows that the team made some moves and started to acquire some talent offensively and defensively. He probably came to camp this year, looked around, saw guys like Leonard Fournette, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson. The list goes on. Robinson saw that and probably thought, you know, maybe we do have something special here. Then he looks at the front office and the coaching staff, and he sees they brought back Tom Coughlin to bring in a level of discipline to everything. And then if you're Robinson, you start to get a little excited. You know, maybe, maybe we can turn this thing around to go from a team that made you laugh to a team that can make some noise. And if the brakes go this way or that way, maybe we can even make a run at the playoffs. And then you remember who is under center. One Robbie Blake Bortles. And then it all falls apart because all the drafting, all the moves in free agency, all the training in the offseason does not matter if old Blake is slinging it the way that Blake slings it. You have all the weapons you want, but they can't do anything if you don't have a quarterback who can, quote, bleep in Keep the bleep in bounds, bro. Bleep. One of my favorite quotes in a long time. Bleep and keep the bleep in bounds, bro. Bleep. Bleeping keep the bleep in bounds, bro. Bleep. And barring a miracle, Jacksonville does not have a quarterback who can bleep and keep the bleep in bounds, bro. Bleep. Have fun with that, Al. I know you won't. God, this guy deserves better. Everybody deserves better than Robbie Blake Bortles. Well, there you have it. History is made. The show started with a Jacksonville take. I've got one tweet through. Sir Walter City tweeting at Jim Rome. Jags take to start. Don't let it steal the show. Signed Jags lady. Steal the show. Starts this putt out to the right, down to the left. Just on the edge of the hole and it goes in. Justin Thomas forcing the issue, gets it to nine under par. One hole remaining in this 99th PGA Championship. He throws the ball up, emphatically grabs it with his left hand. He knows this tournament's his to win or lose. We are joined by Justin Thomas. It's been a little less than 72 hours, though, since you won on Sunday. How does it feel right now? Uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure how to describe that. I know I'm tired, that's for sure. It's been a, it's been a bit of a whirlwind these last couple of days, and... Obviously a new experience for me, but um, but it's definitely something I would like to get used to, and I'm and I'm perfectly fine with dealing with. Uh, I slept better last night than I think I maybe ever have in my life. Um, it's uh, it's been a it's been a pretty unbelievable couple of days, um, and and been fun to enjoy it. Justin Thomas joining us. You know, as you look back on Sunday, and because there's been so much that's gone in the last couple of days, but if you take a step back and you look back, what sticks out to you the most? For instance, is it certain shots like that putt on 10 or the shot on 17, or maybe is it something else? Uh, you know, it's it's tough because it it was such a it was such a crazy and unbelievable day to where I had, I felt like, multiple shots that were huge for me. You know, the 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 putt on one I thought was massive. I mean, making bogey there and I mean, which already was a bad bogey, but to make a six would have been terrible and that would have been even more difficult to make up. And then I mean the putt on nine gave me a lot of momentum kind of finishing that first nine and then obviously the breaks on ten. But uh, I mean that chip in on thirteen was 
was huge. I mean, that was that was one. Although it looked like a very easy chip, and it wasn't very difficult. That it's, it's tough to chip out of that that first cut, and you can get some kind of squirrely lies like I had, and it just came off exactly like I wanted to. And it was pretty cool because I I'd, I'd made a lot of putts, I'd hit a lot of great shots, but I don't think I'd ever really chipped in uh, coming down the stretch of a big tournament and when I needed it. So that was uh, that was a nice one to knock off the list. It was um, there's a lot of things to look back on, but I, I just think looking over the day as a whole. Is definitely what will stick out. You know, there's a lot of things to look back on. I could take any one of those shots or any one of those moments and follow up, but what about the putt on 10? I mean, that was an epic moment as it hung on the lip for 12 seconds before it finally fell in. What did you think when it did drop? Well, I didn't even see it go in, as funny as it was. I was turning around, and I think I was talking to my caddy or just doing something. I mean, it was bizarre to me that it didn't even go in in the first place. The grain and the hill was going that way, that second half of that putt, which kind of why we read it to go a little left at first and then right at the end and it just never came back right and and when it st- when it rolled up to the hole and it stopped on the lip i was like man this thing has to go in it just has to gravity and the grain it just everything is going that way and it's so close to going in uh it just has to and um, i just was kind of turned around and, and disbelieved to jimmy and then i heard the crowd go nuts i turned around and my ball wasn't there anymore so i was happy to hear and see that it's gone in so when it goes in do you start to feel like man this is my day this is meant to happen it's definitely a comforting feeling. I mean, it, I've I've been in the situation before where I've gotten bad breaks or balls have whipped out, and and it's it's tough to feel like you know maybe it isn't my time sort of thing. But um, that definitely gave gave me a little bit of a spark and and just one of those things like you know maybe this is my time. But um, at the same time, I had eight holes left, so I need to keep keep the paddle down. Clones, I need a minute so I can talk to you about Stamps.com. Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. I can mail any letter, any package, using just my computer and printer, and the mailman picks it right up. I can avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international. And you can create your Stamps account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Click, print, mail, and you are done. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your own convenience 24-7. It's convenient. It's easy. It's reliable. It's flexible. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the very top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. That is Stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Now, of course, there's the legend that you told no laying up back in April that you would win a major this year. You didn't know which one. You didn't know how many. At, at what point, and at that point, you were already having a great season. So what made you feel like you were going to cash in a major this year? How did you know? You know, that's one of those things that you, you kind of say uh, and and hope you, you end up looking really good about it or good about yourself. But I don't know. I mean, I just felt like that my game was definitely good enough. And I that was probably not too long after Hawaii. So I obviously was feeling, feeling great from that. But I just mentally, I mean, I'm in a lot better place this year. I know that I don't need my best stuff to win tournaments. I just need to be smart and need to, you know, not make the stupid mistakes and I felt like that's what I've gotten a lot better at, and I think that's what is so important in major championships is just, you know, just being patient, being smart, and basically just outthinking everybody. And um, 
I don't know. I felt like that I had the great chance and an opportunity to win, you know, win at least one major. And I was just, I procrastinated a little bit, but I was glad that I got it done. Okay, now there's winning a major, and then there's winning the PGA Championship as the son and a grandson of PGA professionals. So what does it mean to you, and what did it mean to share that moment with your father in person and your grandfather on the phone? It meant a lot. I mean, they're them, and they have been so influential in my life and my career in golf, and I just, um, it was so cool having Dad there, and I mean, I get emotional just looking at the picture of my dad and I. I've looked at it many times since since that Sunday, and it just, man, it just gives me such a great feeling and, and everything in my heart knowing uh, that, you know, that we did this. And um, that was my first major win with the PGA and, and having three generations of PGA members and, and talking to Grandpa after the round. And I talked to him a little bit yesterday, too, and they're just they're happy for me, and I'm, uh, I'm happy I can share it with them. Now, of course, you caught up with Tiger Woods the other day, and it's already become legend that you were at the 2000 PGA Championship at Valhalla where he beat Bob May in the playoff. What do you remember about that tournament? Yeah, I just remember that that was, that was a big, um, obviously an unbelievable event. But my dad working the PGA, I was out there, and I was watching that putt he had on 18 in the clubhouse. And as soon as he hit it on TV, I just heard the, the crowd go nuts out out um behind 18 green and that was for me was kind of as a seven-year-old i'm like man this is unbelievable like this is so cool i and i already love golf i already you know knew that or i thought that i wanted to play it and for my life and then it's like why wouldn't i want to do this i mean how cool is what he just did and um and to be able to you know celebrate with the guy that i've looked up to my entire life um it's it's crazy it is it really is surreal when you and I spoke back in January, we had a slight disagreement over peanut butter and the fact that you're all about smooth while I'm representing Team Crunchy. You clearly have had an amazing year. Would you like to make it even better right now by coming over to the Crunchy side, Justin? <laughs> you know, I, I as much as I would love to, to humor you, I'm going to have to stay with Team Creamy. I'm, I'm not... I'm not wavering sides there. Right, so the Nevada State Athletic Commission was scheduled to meet today to hear a request from Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor to allow them to wear eight-ounce gloves for next Saturday's fight. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is. State rules require that boxers who weigh more than 147 have to wear 10-ounce gloves. Conor, though, of course, is used to wearing four-ounce gloves. Not just four-ounce gloves, but four-ounce gloves that are fingerless. And he obviously wants the smallest glove he could possibly use. He's been pro-smaller gloves the entire time, and then Floyd jumped on board as well. So they're pushing for 8-ounce gloves. Wait. <laughs> what? Hold up. Is this now really a thing? Is that really a thing? Is that where we are now in this promotion? That the biggest thing we have to talk about is a difference of 2 ounces in gloves. I know I'm supposed to care about what they wear on their hands when they fight. I just don't. I just want them to fight. I don't care if they're wearing catcher's gloves or oven mitts. Just fight already. I can't believe this was one of those fights that was allegedly, quote, put together on short notice. I feel like we've been waiting on this thing forever. Now we're to this point. Two ounces in gloves. Hell, let them go old school. Bare-knuckled. Bare-knuckled boxing like John L. Sullivan. Gentleman Jim Corbett. Do whatever the hell you have to do to get these guys into the ring stat. I mean, as soon as the fight was announced, 
I was firmly in that camp that the promotion was going to be way better than the fight. That it was going to be one week after another of just crazy, over-the-type hype and energy that would finally build towards a fight that would be must-see and probably be totally forgettable. That when you get these two guys together, when it came to talking junk, the sky was the limit. But there's definitely lead in this Zeppelin now. And with a week and a half to go, it feels like it's coming down. This was supposed to be the most electric promotion ever. And right now, what are we talking about? Two-ounce difference in gloves. In fact, it's gotten so bad, TMZ is hitting Floyd with questions about Justin Bieber's take on the fight. How's the training going, man? Everything good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. What do you think about Bieber saying you're not going to KO McGregor? He says you're going to win but not KO him. Any, any thoughts? I mean, this is what this has come to. The TMZ guy asking Floyd about Bieber's take on Floyd. Look, I know that TMZ camera guy is not exactly Charlie Rose, but that's not going to win anybody a Pulitzer. However, my man was not to be denied, and he waited for Floyd to come back out to his car before he hit him with this. Floyd, are you going to abstain from sex before the fight? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Hitting Floyd with the classic fighter question, but at least he got an answer as Floyd was getting into his ride. But just because Floyd had already disappeared off camera does not mean the TMZ guy was going to drop his guard. He was still throwing shots, still looking to land something, anything at all. Yo, Floyd, anything to say to the people that might try to pirate the fight? Hi, Floyd. Hey, hey, what about piracy? Floyd! Floyd, what about industrial espionage? What do you come out on the Smoot-Hawley tariff? Is the gold standard the only true way back to a nation's currency? I mean, I know we're in trouble from a hype standpoint when the TMZ guy is digging that deep and working that hard. Those camera guys are volume punchers, and even he was finding it hard to throw. You know, I wish I could say that this felt like the calm before the storm. Except it doesn't. Because I'm not sure what the storm looks like next Saturday. All along, I thought the promotion would be better than the fight. But at the rate it's going, the fight might actually be better than the promotion. We need something to happen. Stat. Either somebody do something. Somebody say something. Or let's just have that fight tomorrow night in a parking lot. I've always been interested in the fight, but I never needed it until right now. Now I really, really need this fight because we all need to be past the point of talking about a two-ounce difference in gloves. Let's get it on. Let's do it already. On this, Justin, it is going to be eight-ounce gloves. Never mind that there is a rule that past 147 in that state, you fight with 10-ounce gloves. Safety schmafety. Who the hell cares, man? There's money to be made. We have to make this fight more competitive. We have to make this fight more interesting. Why stop there? If you're going to go from 10 to 8, go 8 to 4. If Connor's going to fight Floyd's sport, let Floyd fight with Connor's gloves. Give him 4-ounce gloves. Cut holes in them. Let's do this thing. Hey, but whatever you do, can we do it right now? Do it right now. We still have a week and a half to kill. That is still not this weekend. Next weekend.
We are joined by Heath Evans. It is training camp as a fullback, and especially a fullback who spent some time with the Saints. What kind of memories do you have of training camp in mid-August? I mean, was it a fun time or something you just had to get through? Well, <laughs> the young years were, were stressful and trying to learn offenses and, and trying to please coaches and, and everything else. And then as you mature, um, I think you kind of get to enjoy the camaraderie factor more. I think you get to dial into just how precious those those experiences are and how unique and, and blessed you are to be a part of, you know, 132 teams with, you know, 70 or 80 guys trying to fight for a roster spot. And I think you get to enjoy the moment more as you get older and um, less pressure to learn a playbook or to please a coach and, and much more just about trying to fine-tune your game to get ready for, for 16 games to hopefully make a playoffs push. So um, year to year, that definitely changed for sure. Heath Evans joining us, an NFL Network analyst. Now, speaking of the Saints, when you look at what they already have on offense in Drew Brees, and then you add Adrian Peterson to the mix, what's your sense as to how good that offense can be? Well, I mean, that offense last year, I mean, people talk about replacing Drew every year, and I'm like, what what, what, what tape are you watching, and what, what film are you watching? Because – the guys just feel spectacular. And so now you can add a, a somewhat of a one-two punch if, if that's what uh, Sean chooses to do. The way teams have had to stop Drew over the years um, doesn't add up with the way the teams have had to stop, to stop Adrian Peterson over the years. So uh, defensive football is a numbers game. Um, and you don't have numbers. If, if Adrian Peterson is what he's been in the past um, – and Drew is what he's been in the past. I'll just say this. The numbers don't add up. The attention to detail you have to pay to numbers-wise with thwarting um, a healthy Adrian Peterson doesn't give you the option to do what you need to do in the back end of the defense to stop Drew Brees. So um, I would say, um, for the old cliche, the sky's the limit. Uh, this could be a, a devastating offense, one strong enough to actually balance out that defensive roster to help that defense get better. Now he, to your point, though, if they've been what they've been in the past, take Peterson, for instance. He's 32 now, and you know how the league views running backs over the age of 30. Is father time going to catch up to him this year, or is he simply built from something different than everybody else? I, I think he might be Superman. I, we, we go back, he's basically had the better part of two seasons off, and so we talk about injuries, but I think the, the other side of that is you have to look at the rest on his body. So he's 32 we know the yards he's put up. We know the beating he's taken. Probably more accurate the beating he's delivered. Um, I was there in camp with him. Um, listen, for eye to eye, he hasn't lost a step. Uh, when he puts his shoulder in someone's chest, you still hear that audible pop from 50 yards away. Um, they had a very physical practice the day I was there. It was red zone run, short yardage goal line. And... Um, they're, you know, from, from my 16 years in this NFL business, 10 as a player and six plus now as an analyst, he hasn't lost a, a, a bit of a step. So um, whether it's two years from now, this year, another injury, um, I, I, if he's healthy, I think what they can offer defenses with him and Mark is, is an absolute train wreck. Heath Evans, Super Bowl champion, 10-year NFL vet, and an NFL Network analyst joins us once again. Now, you were at Patriots camp earlier this month. You are a former Patriot. So what was your sense as to the mood and the vibe around that team right now? 
more focused than ever. You know, the, the, you, I always laugh, you know, you, you know, I always ask Brady here and there, you know, like, Hey, what's your favorite ring? And he'll always give you the, the patented answer the next one. Mm. Um, you know, they've got five in hand and, um, um, it's the brilliance of Bill Belichick is the ability to get 90, a 90 man roster to focus on the future instead of even remotely dwelling on the past, how he does it. I wish I knew. Cause then I'd go try to be an NFL coach. Um, but, um, it, it was a, a focused machine and again, how they do it. I don't think anybody knows. Um, but they are hungry. Um, that roster is stacked from top to bottom. It's faster than I've seen it in a long time. It's got a, a great, um, build of, of older veteran leadership with that wise seasoned approach to a whole bunch of young guys that are fast and hungry and, and, and good athletes. And so, um, I expect special teams to be better than it was last year. Um, and I know they had the number one scoring defense last year. Um, but I'm sorry, these guys won't shut up. Um, the, um, number one scoring defense last year, but, um, all in all, they could potentially be better. And so, um, offensively, we know what Brady's capable of. We know Cooks. We know, you know, Allen's been added to the mix. There's a lot of weapons over there that, um, it's, the proposition is scary. Um, but they've, they've got a lot to do to, to be able to match what they put up and put out on the field last year. When you post video of your workouts on Instagram, you know you're going to get folks jumping into the comments section saying that you didn't break parallel on a squat or you're cra- or the cracking <laughs> on your form. What is your reaction when you see that on Instagram? Well, most of the time I, I try to beat the haters to the punchline. You know, I, I had my knee completely redone with ACL and menis- meniscus and microfracture. You know, my hips have never been the most flexible thing. And I always preface, you know, I'm not a bodybuilder and I'm not a power lifter. I, I, I work out for me. I work out for the competition. So I really try to respond to people with love and humility. Sometimes I just ignore them. Other times I'll be like, I'll try harder next time. Um, but uh, every once in a while, they'll get a rude comment out of me. They catch me on a hungry day or something. But uh, listen, there's, there's always the negativity. You know, my, my goal is to try to love on people, to encourage them. And our bodies are capable of so many things. If most people just need to be encouraged and strengthened and taught how to do something. And then they get to see great, you know, strength results and they'll see the gains in the mirror and feel better about themselves, which will make them better husbands or better children or better students or whatever it is. So, um, I I try to respond in love and kindness. Uh, I'm human though. Sometimes they catch me on a bad day. (laughs) Mitch in Maine. First call. This might be the first call of the week, actually. Good to have you on. Mitch, what's up? I'm honored. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Hey, and I want to thank you for opening up your opening up your show today with a Jaguars take because that just gave me a Brady take. Like, bro, the what reason you, why the Jaguars? Bro, bro, what broke, you, Mitch? What have you been doing today before you called me? Like, realized, give me an idea what your day has been like. They're a bunch of failures, and they're never going to win. And they're, you know, I it just Mitch, sparks my idea Mitch. of. Mitch, bro, can you hear me? Why don't they put Tom Brady in the Hall of Fame right on? now? Mitch, can you hear me? Put Brady on the Hall of Fame. Put Brady in the Hall of Fame right now. Is that what you just said? Right now, yeah. Let him play in the league in the Hall of Fame. Why? What? Because he has every rec- he has every record. You watched the Super Bowl last year. You saw them down twenty eight to three. You said you saw all the records to be broken over the screen. Oh, this will never happen. 
No, no team has ever come back from 10 points down in the Super Bowl. Mitch, like, what did you do today it, before you called me? You just put up 28 points with four passes. Like, I think Tom Brady should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he is a Mitch, let me put you another way, man. Are you high right now? And anybody who isn't a Patriots fan Mitch. is missing out on Mitch, a great role model. Mitch, why and not? And I just want to send that Mitch. Brady love out there. That was like me playing call. some old call back on tape and talking over it. But that's not what I did. That was a live call. That was Mitch in Maine who called the show in real time. And I asked the guy three times, what did you do prior to picking up the phone and calling me? Because I had a sense that maybe he was stoned. And maybe I was wrong, but I wanted to give him a chance to respond. But he didn't, and I just kept asking him, Mitch, 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 put Tom Brady in the Hall of Fame. Hey, Chouts, is it not enough to have allegedly the greatest quarterback of all time? That's not enough for you? A guy who's won five rings, a guy who engineered the biggest comeback ever, that's still not enough. You have to have him in the Hall of Fame now while he's an active player. Wave the waiting period because he's that much better than anybody who's ever done it. Mitch, we're not going to do that. We're not putting him or anybody else in the Hall of Fame while they're still playing. He's going to have to wait like everybody else. He'll go right in. He'll get that hideous mustard blazer, but he's going to have to wait like everybody else. But my man was impassioned, right? Listen to this. Listen to the fire. The straight fire. Put him in now. You saw the game. You're Uh, right, Mitch. I'm a talk show host. I did see the game. Of course I saw the game. I was at the game. You saw it. You saw him break those records. Put him in the Hall of Fame right now. We're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame right now. Hey, Mitch, how about this? I guarantee we'll put him in the Hall of Fame. I promise you. He will go to the Hall of Fame. And he is unique. And he is special. But he's not so special that we're going to waive the waiting period and put him in the Hall of Fame right now. Would you like me to do the same thing for Bill Belichick? Arguably, Bill Belichick is better at his job than Tom Brady is at his job. Or if all you Patriot haters want to come in right now and say that neither one of them are really as good at their job as it would appear that they all cheat, just do what you do. In terms of reaction, the first email through after that call reads, simply, Mitch rules. Sent from my iPhone. Whoever's iPhone that was. Oh, no, believe me. Mitch does not rule. Nor is Tom Brady going right to the Hall of Fame. He's going to have to finish his career. Now, if he wants to stop right now and start the clock, that's fine. Except he doesn't. Brady's the one who's saying that he thinks he can play well into his 40s. So not only is he not going to go to the Hall of Fame right now, you're going to probably have to wait 10 years because he's going to play five more years. At Steve PHX tweets, great call from huffed paint. I wasn't going to go that far. I just wanted to ask him what he had done prior to picking up the phone. And Steve has the answer. He huffed paint at Total Big E. What the hell was going on? Was that Tiger's pharmacist? No, that was Mitch. That was Mitch in Maine. Why don't they put Tom Brady in the Hall of Fame right on? now? Why don't they put him in the Hall of Fame right now? I mean, is that a rhetorical question? Because they don't put active players in the Hall of Fame. You retire, and then you wait, and then they debate it in committee, and then you go in. You just put up 28 points 
with four passes. Four pluses? Roham, you asked me a question. Will you let me answer it? Like, I think Tom Brady should be in the Hall of Fame. So do I. Just not right now. At Stuck Nuts in. Excellent interview with Mitch. <laughs> Maybe that was my third interview. There it is. Mitch actually got in. I think he is a Mitch, let me put it to you another way, man. Are you high right now? In. Don't I always say the best interviews are conversations? That was some hell of a conversation, wasn't it? Me conversing with Mitch. And Mitch not responding to anything I said. At Sean Hester ESQ tweets, I want to drink with Mitch. Give him a freaking golden ticket. That's pretty cool. How many times do you hear somebody on the show or see somebody on a TV show and think to yourself, man, I'd love to have a drink with that guy. I'd love to have a beer with that guy. I'd love to have several beers with that guy. I like that dude. Sometimes when Janet and I are watching TV, like HDTV or something, I'll say half in jest. I want to be friends with those people. I like that couple. We can go to Javier's. We can hang out. So that's what that guy just said. I want to have a beer with Mitch. What's stopping you? Go ahead. Of course, if you had a beer with Mitch, you'd be about 10 behind. You'd be playing catch-up, wouldn't you? Mitch. He's missing out on Mitch, a great role me? model. Mitch, why and not? And I just want to send that Mitch. Brady love out there. Goodbye. Ah! I want to send that Brady love out there. That Brady love out there. Dennis Dodd. This notion of coaches who are overrated and underrated. Jim Harbaugh was on top of the overrated list, but right behind him was Nick Saban. And you've got one coach who said, quote, Nick's got a lot of advantages. In my conference, you could take five or six of us, get there a month before the season and win 12 games. There's a little bleeping machine underneath that stadium, and they grow them there, end quote. It's an amazing quote, but is it just jealousy or is there something to that? No, I look, I, I don't anyone or many people believe Nick Saban's overrated. Yeah, that, that coach may have been right. You could win 12 with those players, but those players have, you know, there have been years spent recruiting and developing those players, and Nick Saban deserves all the credit in the world for doing that. I, I, w- I would call that a, a one-off. I wouldn't call that a trend, that particular quote. Right, so what about the other side? What about Harbaugh? Is he overrated? Well, I'll say this. Uh, this is a key year for, for Jim Harbaugh, and I, I don't think he's overrated. When you go to four jobs and succeed at a high level at all four jobs and do what he's done, uh, he's 20-6 and six at Michigan in two years, but it, it's still not finished above third place in the, in the Big Ten East. Is 1-3 against Michigan State and Ohio State, and, and they're going to drop off a little this year. This is a rebuilding year for Michigan. If, they lose, if he loses to Ohio State this year and goes 0-3 against the Buckeyes, There'll be some heat. I mean, that's you know that's the reality of the job when you're at Michigan. You've got to beat Ohio State, and if he doesn't start doing it soon, there'll, there'll be a little bit of pressure. Dennis Dodd joining us. Dennis, publicly, college coaches seem to be very supportive of players receiving more money. What did the candid coaches survey reveal on that issue? It was it was kind of split both ways. Uh, I had one coach tell me significantly that. If he's at his school, if a player maxes out on a Pell, a Pell grant is a financial aid package that you can get from the federal government. It it maxes out at $5,815 a year. Between that and the scholarship check and the cost of attendance, that 
player can make $24,000 a year at his school. So over a four-year period, that's almost $100,000 if you hit it right. And then, you know, again, not everybody gets a Pell. I, when I heard that, I just said, look, the question is not, do they deserve to get more money? Let's just call it what it is. They're getting paid now. It may not be a lot of money, but my daughter went to school. She didn't get cost of attendance because she wasn't an athlete. You know, the NCAA uh, legislated that out of guilt so they wouldn't get sued. So they are getting paid now. The question just because just becomes, how much can the public put up with those players being paid without considering them amateurs anymore? And I would say, privately suggest, I think they can get a lot of money before the public's turned off. Dennis Dodd joining us. Now, you wrote a piece recently about the coaches who are currently in South Florida. It's a really interesting no- notion. There are a number of guys I could ask you about, like Charlie Strong or Mark Richt or Butch Davis, but really it is all about Lane Kiffin, as always. How do you think he's going to do at Florida Atlantic? I think he's going to be successful. He's already brought in players that they never would have had a chance of getting. Um, they're going to win. I, I was just in his office, and he told me, you know, what I don't know is, I don't know where these players stack up in Conference USA. You know, obviously they're not all Americans like they were in Alabama, so he doesn't know from that perspective. But I think he's a good coach. I think he'll he'll win there at some sort of high level and be gone in two or three years and, and on with the next chapter of his life. I mean, it's just, you know, whatever, whatever bad things you want to say about him, in the middle of probation at USC, he went 10-2 and two one year. We know what he did at Alabama. But there's a reason he's at FAU, despite having coached four Heisman winners and has three national championship rings. So, you know, if, if he doesn't win big here, uh, I think he's resigned to, you know, calling the rest of his life. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. All right, so last thing you mentioned, USC. You know, if you go back to the start of last season, Dennis, USC looked like a complete mess against Alabama and really in the first month of the season. Then they turn it around, and now there's a ton of hype about the Trojans coming into this season. What kind of a year do you expect from them, and do you expect them to live up to all that hype? I, I do. I, I, when I, you know, when all of us began to figure out they're going to be a top-10, top-five team this year, I went back and looked. Since 2004, uh, I think they've started the season in the top five five times, and four times they finished there. Uh, the only year with 2012, the Lane Kiffin year when they went 7-6, and six. I think Clay Helton has proved he can coach. He's proved he can recruit. They may have the best player in the country in Sam Darnold. Um, they, they're getting elite defensive players. I think they should win the Pac-12. Whether, whether that's good enough to get in the playoffs remains to be seen, but I think USC, after that Rose Bowl performance, and now having won nine in a row, that's either the first or second longest winning streak in the country. I, I think they're fully removed from the uh, from the probation days. I think they're back. Dennis, off topic, you know the show pretty well. You know about the smack-off, the history of the smack-off. What did you think, if you heard it this year, what did you think of your media colleague Jeff Passan showing up for the first time and doing as well as he did, taking third overall? Yeah, well, he's a homeboy. You know, he's in Kansas City, and, and the whole city is proud of him. And, and behind him, I think they're going to have a day or night at one of the Royals games for Jeff. We're finishing third, so... He's a, he's a point of pride in the country. It's craft beer and barbecue and Jeff Passing right now. Thank you for listening. You know your drill. Hit subscribe if you have not done so already. Tell a friend if you have not done that already. And as always, just trust that podcast. Check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. We will see you then. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. 
Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.